Welcome back. We are in the zone. Episode 25 today. Already 25 episodes. How time just flies by. And I remember way back first when we were in single digit episodes, you were talking about AEW a lot more. Talking about their double or nothing pay-per-view. And guys, it's in less than a month already. So I quickly want to talk about double or nothing and um, basically the momentum that AEW has and just the hype around the pay-per-view. Um, what do you guys think so far with this pay-per-view? Do you think it's going to live up to the expectations? Do you think uh, it's going to be a gigantic paper? On paper, it looks amazing, but uh, I'm just I'm excited for the fact that there's finally an option in North America outside WWE because you look at all the talent that's been going there elsewhere, and you know it's, it's really comforting to see that. Yeah, and uh, they've really done a good job in hyping it up on YouTube. They use YouTube even though they don't have a weekly show like WWE. They Go on YouTube on being the elite and further the storylines heading into it with that women's match and the battle royal. And now they even announced that Cody will be facing Dustin Rhodes, formerly Goldust. So that's a good way to how they announce it. And Jim Ross will be on commentary. And we got Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho again. So that's good. If there's one match that has the main event, the first ever AEW pay-per-view, who are you slating into main event and why? I think they'll do uh, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho. Because there's no title right now for AEW, and that's the match that has the like probably the most appeal because they did it in Japan and it was so good. And now with the name that Kenny Omega has, especially in North America with that TSN thing, and Chris Jericho being like still relevant, I think they'll put that in the main event. I'm hoping they come out with the world title within the next month, so I can say put it on the uh, the Pac and Hangman in that match. Because I think uh, for just for match quality, those two would probably be what I'm looking forward to the most. I think uh, I might I might switch it up on both you guys and have the tag team match main event, the Young Bucks, because they are one of the t- they are the one of the four guys that basically found it, and um, they're one of the best tag teams in all of professional wrestling. And the Lucha Brothers, I've been telling you about Pentagon for a bit. He's been he's amazing and. Uh, I also I haven't I don't know a lot about Ray Phoenix, but uh, I've I've seen that like his kind of his whole character is kind of based around Ray Mysterio I think so it's it's kind of cool to see another Lucha Bros kind of gimmick because over the years we've kind of seen it in WWE with like Los Guerreros and you know all those other groups but I guess they're not as successful as the Lucha Bros but um, who do you think would win that match at between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros? I want to say the Lucha Bros. I just feel like the Young Bucks want to put them over at this time. They've done so much in their career. They they went to Mexico and took the titles from them a few months ago. So I think now <laughs> they'll finally, you know, get it back from them. Yeah, I think their Lucha Bros are going to win this. And they'll go around in Impact and in Mexico. And then once their contracts are completely up, they'll be exclusive to AEW where they'll have AEW tag team titles. I love it. Um... Now, talking about this three-way match, because it's been getting uh, bashed on on Instagram and Twitter because of the first ever transgender woman's wrestler, is this is it safe to say that this is Nyla Rose's match to win? Just based off of what everyone is saying, how it's it's a different dynamic because you've never seen a transgender woman wrestle. And when you look at her, it's there's a big difference. Like she's not a really petite girl. She's She's pretty big, and I love what she does, but is this the right move for AEW to do? I think, uh, for me, the win or loss is kind of irrelevant. It's the fact that they signed her and that she's there. That's a win in itself. So, to me, that's how you prove, like, everyone wrong, the fact that, you know, she's there and she's on this pay-per-view. So, I love the signing. I think she's great, and uh, let's see where it goes from there. Yeah, and it's also about building publicity and getting stuff trending on Twitter and all that stuff and Instagram. So if it's on Instagram getting uh, either good or bad publicity, it's still something. The company's getting attention and right when it's time for her to wrestle and make her debut in AEW, more people are going to be interested and watching to see how it goes. And that's a win for the company. I love it. Um, As well, is it the right move to have Kenny Omega announce before the match that he is the president of AEW or is that just kind of because like I feel like a lot of people are going to look at him yes he is still the cleaner he's still one of the best wrestlers on the planet but like going into this match you're kind of looking at a lot of people um, like professional wrestlers like myself 
they don't really look at the character standpoint or like what they are in the company. But when I'm looking at this match, you're looking at like a 49 year old Chris Jericho and you're <laughs> looking at a president in Kenny Omega. Like I feel like the storyline going into this match, it's not, it's not the right fit for both characters. I feel like it was done well in Japan. They had their, I think how many matches did they have like two or three in Japan? Yeah. They had Cause I know this is, uh, if this was like the first time meeting, this would have been a huge deal, but they've, they've done it before. They've done the matches. It's, they've been great, but I don't like Kenny Omega coming out and saying that I'm the president before and making himself look like the authority figure. Because when you look at Kenny Omega, you don't think of him in a suit. That's like the last person you think would be in a suit. And this guy comes out in a suit and he's like, I'm the president and all that. So I don't know. Like, did you guys like that? Did you guys not like that? Him coming out in the suit? Like, I just didn't see that coming at all. I'm all right with it. Uh, I think they're just playing off like this is the final chapter in their feud. They've done a few things in Japan and first time ever they're bringing it over to North America to uh, to finalize it. I kind of like how Jericho, like you see in the being the elite episodes, how he goes to Cody. He's like, I don't care that you're my boss. I'm Chris Jericho. And he kind of he plays himself off like he's an authority figure. So I think you can kind of work with that. But the fact that the, there's like 10 VPs in the company, <laughs> I don't know, I, fi- I find it humorous. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, the whole card, I think, is an executive vice president of something. Talent relations, <laughs> advertising, marketing. Brandy is probably going to wrestle on this card. She's uh, this chief operating officer, I think. So I think once they get into the ring and start actually getting on TV eventually, then we'll see them distance themselves from that. But I think for now... I think everyone knows that Cody is uh, in charge, and then you have Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Chris Jericho is somewhere there, so <laughs> a card full of executives. Out of all these guys that are here at the AEW Double or Nothing pay-per-view, who is the one guy, I know this is completely going against the rules, but who is the one guy that you would love to see in a WWE ring main event? Is it safe to say it's Kenny Omega? Yeah, I would say Kenny Omega, yeah. for sure. I mean, I want to say Pac. But like he's been there before, and I'm just just the way they mishandled him before. Just blame Enzo. Yeah. Oh, I blame a lot of people, but it probably would be Kenny Omega. He's one of the few guys that, aside from that little stint in Deep South Wrestling, that uh, he's made a name for himself elsewhere. So maybe it's it's best he stays away. I mean, yeah, he 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 was in WWE when in 2005. Six. Five. Yeah, he he didn't ago. do anything, so he left, and then he made a name for himself and. I feel like a lot of people, when they go to WWE, I don't know what happens. It's just Vince looks at you and he's like, you know what? We don't have a character. We don't have an identity for you. I don't like your face. It's not happening. <laughs> like, I just, I'm so excited. I can't wait till Vince, like, calls it. Like, says, I'm done. Triple H, take it over. I'm done. Because we've already seen the progression with NXT, how good it is. Like, you don't have to have a, f- a heel face every time. You can have a face versus face. You can have a heel versus heel. Mix it up sometimes, and Triple H is not afraid to do that. So I think when Vince is done, it's going to be good for business. When he goes to the XFL full-time. Is that next year? Next year. (laughs) But anyways, that's it for AEW for now. That's basically all we have. That will be – I don't know how you could watch it. I think it's pay-per-view, but it's May 25th, and it's going to be in Las Vegas. So that's a big deal. Up next, we're going to talk about is the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view that is set to take place in May. Um this is a big pay-per-view, is it not? Because this is the pay-per-view right after WrestleMania and the pay-per-view right before Saudi Arabia. So this has big shoes to fill. And, of course, it's right before Double or Nothing. So, Alina, what are your thoughts so far on the build towards this show? I thought on Monday they did a good job with how they started it and had Seth Rollins come in the ring and had all the main event guys come to the ring and say their piece of why they believe they need to be the next in line and why they should be champion and we saw that those two triple threat matches and then AJ Styles coming out and that's a good match we've never seen that before AJ versus Seth Rollins they're gonna main event and set the tone for the next week to follow because then uh whoever if it's Kenny Omega and Jericho they're gonna have to follow AJ and Seth Rollins from the week before so I think it's a good move on WWE's part and the Money in the Bank ladder match that's gonna be another interesting this seems to be the only thing they're building right now Am I yeah. right? Because it's that, and then they have the Becky and Lacey storyline, which to me seems kind of bland. I don't, yeah. I'm not really on board with that. But for the Universal title picture, they did a good job with building it. But 
for me, it just seems a little cheesy. Like, they're all in that spot, but at the same time, they have to come out and explain why they're in that spot. Like, they're all playing the heel move. I don't, I don't understand why Lacey has to be inserted right away. I don't get the star power. I don't get what the big deal is with her. I know Vince sees her, and I've seen stuff on Twitter where it's like Bailey has taken a Twitter, Sasha's taken a Twitter, and it's like even Becky, it's like, oh, like now we know what the type is that Vince likes, and I guess Lacey has that look, so now she's right into the right into the title hunt right away, and she basically hasn't even had a proper feud in WWE, so... I feel like this is a big opportunity for her, but I feel like she has that bust appeal as well. Like, I feel like if Lacey does not show up in this feud, I feel like WWE will not have a lot for her going forward. Have they seen her in a televised match yet? I don't think so. So she's just been doing live events other than the the Rumble. Yeah. So basically for me, this is a make or break because if she goes in there and she stinks it up on the pay-per-view after WrestleMania you may have some questions on your hands. Yeah, they might have to go with somebody else on Raw, but nobody's really stepped up since the Superstar shakeup. It's just there's one of those it's one of those things where you think about Ronda leaving and you think about Charlotte going back to SmackDown and you have the unification now we have both belts on Becky. Like who who really is going to challenge for it if you had to pick a name? Like I know Ruby Riot has been thrown in there, but she's been buried for like months now. And so, like, shooting her back up to relevancy quickly, like, it won't look it won't look like Ruby as a shot. Like, no one will have faith in her. So, I guess you have a fresh face in Lacey. No one really knows her. So, that's maybe the only way how I look at it is you're throwing Lacey in there. How it's like, okay, well, we don't really know a lot about her. Maybe she could beat Becky. I don't know. But that's what that's my vibe I'm getting. I feel like when I look at a lot of women in WWE, I don't see them being successful at all. Like, Alexa Bliss, love her. She hasn't done anything for a while. Um, Naomi, Natalia, all these other Sasha, like, like they're not they're not in good terms right now. And Becky right now is just far way better than them. So I think this is going to be a long reign for Becky. I don't see her dropping either belt anytime soon. I want to say until maybe the summer she holds it, because like you said, like even after the shakeup, you look at the Raw division with Ronda gone, and no one knows with Sasha. There's not a lot of depth there. No. Yeah, and the way they, they even put Bailey to SmackDown, Charlotte's on SmackDown. Like, who really on Raw do you want to see fight for the title? Like, I would have said Bliss, but yeah, she but hasn't done yeah, anything. She hasn't so really wrestled. That's, that's my biggest. For me, I'd say, like, in a perfect world, Sasha, because you haven't seen Becky and Sasha go at it in a one-on-one feud on the main roster. Yeah. And those two together for a few months. Like, it would be similar to when, uh, in 2016, Charlotte and Sasha – when they went at it for like friggin' half the year and everyone loved it. But like that's the thing, like the, the backlash that that would get because of what happened with Sasha. Like I feel like everyone would be like, oh, well, why is she getting this opportunity when she just acted out as a child backstage? Like why are we giving her the opportunity over someone like a Mandy Rose or a Sonya Deville? Like, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Because she's better. <laughs> It's just, it's just uh, I don't know. It, they're in a corner because it is there is not a lot of depth right now. And Becky Lynch's star power is just way better than, way bigger than anyone else's. So I, I don't see anyone really being a big threat. So I guess going with the unknown superstar and Lacey Evans, I guess, is the best bet here. But a lot of people are still bashing it because they're saying she's like the least of least deserving of it. So I don't know. It's 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 tough. I don't really know what to make of it. But I'll say Becky. I'll say Becky retains here. I think she has to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, then we'll go into the Money in the Bank ladder matches. Don't really know who's in it. Um, if I had to guess a winner, I'd either say Andrade or or maybe even Cesaro. I'd like to see Cesaro win. That'd be that'd be pretty cool. I feel like he's one of those guys who'd be too good to be true. Cesaro? Because we've been pushing it for years. Oh, yeah. We love Cesaro. <laughs> he's just that guy. He came in. He had that, he had that rugby character. And I'm like, okay, this guy, like, he looks kind of boring. <laughs> and then when he won the uni- the universe, when he won the uh, United States title, and he held that for like ten months, he had uh, what was her name? 
Oksana. Oksana. He had had Oksana by his side. And I'll never forget when we went to the live show and he looked right at us. And like, we were just like, yeah, right here. And he was like the only guy. No one else is having it. And we're like, this guy's freaking amazing. How does no one see this? So me and this guy are literally like, we did like this and he looked, he's like, (laughs) oh, that's a moment I'll never forget. But even when he won the Andre the Giant Memorial, I thought there were big things destined and then they just fucking fucked off with them. And then again, a year later when they feuded, when they put him against Kevin Owens at SummerSlam, it's like, okay, this could be a big payoff. Remember, uh, didn't pay off when he returned from injury in the fatal four way on Raw and the crowd just went crazy for him. Might have been the night after Mania. I think it was. Was that when he was with Paul Heyman? Or just a cold? No, it was a, a few years yeah. later. Oh. No, the Paul Heyman was after he won the, the Battle Royal. Everyone was like, oh shit, yeah. here we go. Here comes the push. And, and then, then it was a disaster. Nothing, ha- <laughs> nothing happened with that. But who do, you, who do you think is a safe bet to win Money in the Bank? If you had to put a name out there, is it Andrade? Is it Ali? Is it Drew? I, probably Drew. I wouldn't say Andrade because I don't think they even know what they're doing with him. But in our minds, you look at Andrade and you're like, yeah, this guy can carry for the next five to seven years. But he just seems lost all the time. They got to put him in something. Same with Ali. He's lost. Would you put them in a feud? Ali and uh, Andrade. Um, Yeah. Are they on the same brand? I know he went back to SmackDown, apparently. These guys are flip-flopping. I'm getting a little confused now. Like, why did he he pin Finn on Raw, get that good momentum, and then... (laughs) You're now back on SmackDown. I want to say Do they want him to feud with Finn? Is this like is this what it's going to come down to? If that's the case, yeah. But I want to say Charlotte has an influence on that because they are dating, and then Vegas with Andrade and oh. real life married to Black. So then everyone has to get. Uh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and if if there is anyone that would have that power, it's Charlotte Flair. So uh, that's that's that makes sense. But uh, I would love to see Cesaro win the money. The pick that'd be insane. Uh, then we talk about the women's money in the bank. Is there a definitive winner here as well, or is this just kind of all over the place? I think it's up for grabs. First name that came to mind for me was Ember. Oh, yeah. Ember Moon? Uh, she's, another one. she's one of those talents that hasn't, like Andrade, she's like, just kind of there. Know how great she is, but like, it's just a matter of time before she breaks through. I think right now what I'm looking at, they're saying the only guaranteed woman in this match right now is Sasha and Bailey, which is interesting. I don't, I don't know about Sasha just because like no one does. Yeah. So I don't want to just throw <laughs> theories out there. Cause I, no, cause I've seen, I've seen like, they're like, oh yeah, Sasha's winning the money in the bank if she's in it, no doubt about it. And it's like, why? If that was the case though, I would, uh, but like she's, she's, uh, she's a proven star already. Like well, she doesn't need it. It's like when Randy won it. Like, remember when they did the all-star <laughs> shit? It's like, why are you doing this? They've all, like, won something. With Cena and Kane and, and Big Wyatt Show. And, and like, oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> disaster. That's what I mean. Like, so, like, she's a she's a proven, like, superstar, Sasha. So why do you need to give her the money in the bank when she could easily get a title shot when she wants? Throw a hissy fit backstage. I think Mandy Rose is the perfect, perfect girl to win it. <laughs> Just like how Carmella won it last year. She wasn't in a position to, like... Be a legitimate threat. So it's like, okay, yeah, you're still a little green. We'll give you some time. Carmella, win the money in the bank. Go take it. And then she beat Charlotte Flair. So why can't a Mandy Rose do that? I think Mandy's going to win it. I'd That's, love to see it. I think, win that too. I think Mandy's winning it. Do you think they just don't have faith in their up-and-comers right now? That if that, well, well, they clearly don't have any faith in the Iconics right now. Nothing. I think they've lost every match since uh, they don't have faith since in them, winning at Mania. That's a great push. I'm not opposed to Sasha winning, though, if it means a heel turn. Because I can just see the boss with, like, the briefcase. I don't know. It just seems... Just like, like this? Fit. Yeah. Yeah. And what she if, rocks uh, Becky and then ruins everyone's dreams. What if Charlotte won to add to her legacy? <laughs> <laughs> I love how it always comes back to Charlotte. Can you imagine? She wins that and right away she cashes on Becky the night of. Here's something. Oh. Well, what if Carmella does what CM Punk did oh. and wins back-to-back? Uh, coming off the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle. That's a, there that's it a is. rocket ship up the ass kind of friggin' push. Not even like, <laughs> we're just going to give you a main event spot. That's like full-on. That's here we go. Event. We're handing yeah. you everything. Just keep winning. <laughs> Here's the ball. Go. You know, you know how much I love Carmella. I love her. Oh, yeah. 
I, I think she's also gotten better too. I don't think I don't think people take her seriously enough. Like when she is in those matches, she will deliver. Was it the stuff with our truth that people kind of yeah. set back on her? Yeah, like it was a it was good for her in that like she was still kind of relevant, but yeah, completely one eighty because she was just getting you know relevant and looking a lot more focused in the ring, taking on Charlotte, and then it's like okay, now you're gonna be a laughing act with our truth. It's like. Okay, that kind of. <laughs> I wouldn't mind if Alexa Bliss won the Money in the Bank because then if she's not wrestling all the time, you can use that as an excuse. Oh, she's hosting Moment of Bliss. She's the Money in the Bank winner. She's still thinking of when to wrestle for the title, and you keep her off for a bit. How about this, guys? This would piss you off. You know how Dana Brooke had a nice little, she had a nice <laughs> little uh, coming out party at WrestleMania. What? How about how about Money in the Bank? We've seen Zack Ryder win the IC title at Mania. <laughs> Come on, that's not that's not out of the question. That Dana Brooke money in the bank win, that's remember, not out of it. Remember what I said to you about Dana Brooke a few months ago? Yes. I'm like they push for no no one knows why they push random people for random reasons around this time of year. I feel like Dana Brooke would be one of them, just because she's fucking built and she's got the look and she's blonde. Well, they and do. She and she it. lost like 40 yeah. pounds. Jesus. She looks, I don't know, I love putting numbers out. Well, they put on like uh, those scripted promos again where she would like just literally go word for word. I am here to compete. I am very happy for Becky Lynch for winning both championship belts. And I am Dana Brooke. I want to wrestle. And my overall in WWE 2K19 is a 69. I don't know if that's a jab at her like sucking or like Vince being Vince with the whole 69 sexual shit but I don't, I don't know it's nothing against her I just feel like they- Kyrie Sane you know what for the sake of Kyrie Sane and Asuka I don't care if they bury the Iconics I don't either because I'd rather have the other two skyrocket like you said about Carmella because like they're two of the best in the world and when I look at the Iconics like uh, they're great they're annoying and that's their job, and they make you laugh. They're never going to be Kyrie Sane or Asuka in the ring. So for me, I'd rather have the in-ring talent over the mic work any day. There it is. That's just me, though. Yeah. And before we uh, we switch to hockey, what are your guys' thoughts on the Roman Reigns switch to SmackDown? Because that, that is yeah. a big deal. That now I leave Seth Rollins all alone on Raw. No help. Dean Ambrose probably all in his own and. AEW. Can you imagine? It's like you got Seth Rollins on Raw, Roman SmackDown, Ambrose AEW. The three. I'm telling you right now, if Ambrose goes to AEW, they're not screwing up with him. He's going to be their. Yeah, he's he's going to be, be their main guy, guy there, hundred percent. But Roman, though, <laughs> yeah. Back to Roman, like, yeah. I don't think we were surprised. Like last week, we were talking about if it's a big name. I thought it was either him or Lesnar. I guess one yeah. of the two. It's probably going to be Lesnar too eventually down the road, but. Roman, for sure, had to be the name. Strowman, I don't know where they're going to go with him. So having Roman go to SmackDown was a big move. And it makes him get into different kind of feuds. Because Raw is more of like the entertainment show. And he's already been the guy there. Now he's on SmackDown where it's more wrestling heavy. And you can maybe face a guy like Orton again. And (laughs) Ali, Kofi Kingston. Like have these different kind of programs. Maybe even Kevin Owens, they do that feud again. So... A lot of options for him now. Is it safe to say that Roman Reigns will take Kofi's title eventually? Because that's 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 the that's the vibe I'm getting on like Instagram and like all like you know like people you know discussing their opinions. That's the vibe I get. It's like oh Roman's gonna come to SmackDown around SummerSlam, just gonna take Kofi's title, and you know the rest is history. Roman Reigns will be WWE champion. By SummerSlam. Bank on that with other superstars. Now, you say he will be champion by SummerSlam. Who would his next, like, opponent be? Nice little lap at the back of the line. It's time to get him up there again. So I'd want to see KO for the title. Yeah, he, he's... All fun and games, but, like, let's get serious now. You got a superstar here. Yeah, I think, I think that... I think, uh... The returning Big E by SummerSlam, or after that, as a heel, cost Kofi. Sheamus got injured in the same match. That's all I. That's yeah, all same I know. Match. Yeah. Oh man. Apparently, <laughs> both got hurt. That's never been done before. So first off, last week we talked about the Blue Jackets. They were up three nothing. They officially swept the Lightning, which is the biggest upset uh, upset in probably professional sports. I'm. 
That's like I'm not sugarcoating anything. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's just in hockey, not in sports. <laughs> they had 62 wins. 62 wins, then and you have, get swept. And they have almost 30 points on them in the regular season. They did, yeah, and they did. The, the Blue Jackets just made it. Just they made just it. made it. By what, like a point over the Habs? Yeah, last, last game, game of the season. Yeah. <laughs> and they sweep Tampa Bay. They sweep them. How, like, how does that happen? I'm, I'm looking like at – I was looking at the depth chart, looking at the, the results, looking at the shots, looking at everything. How do you sweep Tampa Bay? I think at this point when, you look, when you're looking at all the stats and all the names, it just comes down to hard work. And when you watch all those four games, Columbus just outworked them. The bottom six was amazing. Bobrovsky outplayed Vasilevsky. It wasn't even close. No. And, you know, for Tampa, like, they didn't go on a slump all year. I think they, they just happened to go on a four-game slump at the worst time. Yeah, it took them, you know, 62 wins to set a record. And that only got them an extra four games. What like what great work they put into that year? And I think John Tortorella outcoached Cooper, and their team just outworked them. They gave them like no respect of being a first place team. When you're watching that whole series, it looked like Columbus was a first place team, and Tampa was just that team that barely made it. And it was a good th- uh, series for Columbus, but now it's another tough test because now they have all this rest and. Toronto, Boston are coming up right after. Well, it's crazy because earlier in the year, these were two teams where it's like, if you don't win, what if? Like, yeah. what happens after? What's next? Because Tampa Bay has to sign Braden Point. Tampa has a lot of assignments they got to do in the offseason, but so does Columbus. Because they got Matthew Shane and Ryan Dezingle at the trade deadline. And at first, when they were, because I remember, I think it was like maybe five days before the season ended, they were not even in. Montreal was in over them. And I'm like, these guys get the Zingle, Duchesne, all these guys are not even in the playoffs. They have to make it. They make it. They sweep Tampa Bay. Now they're waiting on the Bruins of the Leafs. Like, all I'm saying is, if the Blue Jackets do the impossible and go to the Stanley Cup Finals, the Duchesne and the Zingle pieces here are massive because we saw Duchesne have that four-point game. Yeah, you could say Dezingle hasn't really done a lot, but Duchesne has been the big X factor here, and he's just outplayed Dubois. I, I have to say it. He's outplayed him. Dubois was, last two years, we, we've been harping on him. You know, he missed that empty net, World Juniors. <laughs> but the last two years, he's proven that he is a gamer in this league, and when Duchesne comes over, he's definitely outworked Dubois, and it's definitely showing. They sweep Tampa, and... Uh, I guess this is the beginning of their journey. But talking about what ifs again, what's next for teams? The Dallas Stars last night eliminated the Nashville Predators. What is next for Nashville? Pecorine is 37 years of age. UC Soros is at the tender age of 25. Do you start UC Soros next year? You know what? I do not because when I look back on this series and specifically on game six, Pecorine was the only guy that showed up for that team. They got Granlin at the deadline. They got Simmons, and it looked amazing at first, and they have done nothing. Their forwards did not show up. Yossi led their team with, like, four assists in the six games. Uh, Dallas just outplayed them. Ben Bishop's been amazing. You know I don't like Ben Bishop. <laughs> but, like, he's, he's been amazing, and, you know, kudos to Dallas because I did not think they'd win this series. No. Yeah, that was a surprise. And now you're looking at Nashville – do you trade P.K. Subban for a forward? Because <laughs> none of their forwards really showed up, and their defense is stacked. Pecorino, I think, could get another year. I never thought this would be a problem because Arvidsson was scoring every game, and Forsberg has looked dominant. And then even guys like Ryan Johansson at the age of 22 was having 70 points in Columbus. So I don't know. I feel like when you make a lot of moves, sometimes the chemistry really screws yeah. up teams, and I think that's what happened here because Granlin is like a center right and I think they had him playing center, and I think they had Turris move to wing, which kind of screwed everything up. And that makes no sense to me because Turris is the better center than Granlund. Yeah. I don't know, but over the last little while, Turris has been kind of invisible. <laughs> so I think that's why they got Granlund in the first place. But Granlund just became invisible. Maybe there's a second-line <laughs> curse we don't know about. I don't know. but It worked with the Blue Jackets. Not so much with Nashville. See, like, I thought the Wayne Simmons deal would actually get them over that hump. Like, he has the physicality, the grit. He could score sometimes, but he did nothing. 
Granlin did nothing. Granlin had 60, what, 69 points last year? Eesh. Did nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and even Jamie Benn's season this year. Yeah, the if there was one guy that was not deserving of a playoff appearance or a playoff series win, Jamie Benn. Awful season. Tyler Sagan, don't know how he had 30 more points than Ben. I have no idea how. <laughs> that still boggles my mind. He had 80 and Ben had like 52. Don't know how. But Ben Bishop, you got to give this guy credit. This guy has been one of the best goalies all year. Same with the guy that I'm going to mention next as they swept the pens. Robin Leonard has been a rock for this. I told you what, four days ago, both goalies had like 920 saves, Grice and Leonard. So you're looking at the success of the Islanders. Yes, you need forwards to score, but you also need goaltending to win. So... I feel like the reason they came second in the Metro is because of Leonard. And I think I, I, I think Leonard should be my uh, my Fez the winner. I'm not even kidding. But, but again, Vasilevsky, it is a regular season trophy, so I think that guy's going to win it. But what are you guys' thoughts on Leonard? Yeah, he had a great playoffs. I wasn't expecting that. And if you're looking at Pittsburgh – that's another teams, what if yeah. teams what they have to do they're throwing around like Kessel as a guy to trade I'm not trading Kessel from them because nope. he's the only guy on your their team that actually showed up and scored you're going to rely on that next year I would trade Chris Letang because they already won a cup without him and trading a guy like Letang at, um, you know their back end is good with him but if you can trade Letang and get two pieces that could eventually become top two like somewhere in the top four like Carolina with uh, Slavin, if you get a guy like that for Latang, package him up. That'd be a good move for them. The, the one thing with me with the Penguins over the years is they've been so comfortable with the forwards they have. It's just like they keep drafting forwards, like because they don't they know that the players are because they always have a high pick. They're never going to be in the top ten. We haven't seen that in years, decades. So, like. You don't see Pittsburgh going into the draft be like, okay, we're going to draft um, this guy. Uh, he's going to be ready in like four years to play. Like the, I, I feel like the Pens, their biggest problem is they never drafted a D over the last like six years. They haven't drafted a decent defenseman. And it's crazy. Like you draft Daniel Sprong, you get rid of him. You try and get the D that you want in uh, – what was his name? Uh, Marcus Pedersen from Anaheim going to – Pittsburgh for Daniel Sprong and Daniel Sprong you're looking at it, it's like Daniel Sprong supposed to be one of your best forwards coming up so why the hell did you get rid of him it's like well we need D we have Oli Mata who's always injured we traded Derek Pouliot he he's not even that good he's on Vancouver like I had big hopes for him not that good so like you're looking at Latang and down like they have no one Justin Schultz had that 55 point season two years ago that was fluky I'm sorry <laughs> so I think that's what Dallas needs. They, I mean, what Pittsburgh needs. They need a defenseman. Kind of on the flip side of what he said, because I don't see them parting ways with Crosby, Malkin, or Latang. I think Phil, unfortunately, would be the odd guy out. And he is making, how much is Phil making? Around seven mil? Seven. The next five, six 7. years? 7.4? Yeah, yeah, but his cap hits, because the Leafs have 1.2 million they pay. So the cap hit goes down to like 6.5, whoever it gets. Yeah. So like that would be a guy, like as much as I love him, and he is one of the only guys that showed up, you may have to part ways with him and then start moving some pieces around. All I'm saying is they ha- they need some D. They don't have D. Like you can't be going into the playoffs it's like oh yeah we have Crosby Malkin it's like yeah you could have those two but they're 30 and 31 and your best D is also like 30 now so like you gotta kind of look into the future a little bit can you imagine this Edmonton Oilers trade like Darnell Nurse get Phil Kessel (laughs) and then you have Connor McDavid Phil Kessel on the first line I know what you know what if I if I'm Pittsburgh (laughs) I am doing that very quickly, I am doing that. Because I'll be like, yeah, Edmonton, they're gonna, they're always gonna have a top five pick. They suck. They're gonna get a, <laughs> <laughs> they can draft another defenseman. Like this year, they can probably draft someone good. I would dangle. imagine Darnell Nurse. Nurse on that back end for for Pittsburgh. You play uh, probably with Latang on the top. And then when Latang gets injured and Mata gets injured, so he'll be playing. Darnell Nurse could even potentially see it. We could see his offensive upside if they yeah. give him opportunity on the power play. You could fuck off with Hornquist. Do you think that uh, for Pittsburgh, this is the changing of the guard, or I think for it the is. Islanders, they it's just. To. I think it has to. Step. 
I think it has to for both. I think both. Yeah, I think Barzell is an elite talent, and I I love Beauvillier too. I think he's great. Um, Jordan Eberle's turning back the clocks in a time where he kind of has to. It's a contract year, so he has to show up, and he's showing up. Robin Leonard, I don't know what his contract. Is. I don't know what his contract is. I don't know the situation with that, but he's been a rock. Um, they. They have Ryan Pulak, who's a great defenseman. Um, give him maybe another year, and he will start showing flashes of two-way brilliance. Um, Nick Letty's never been the greatest, but I think the biggest storyline coming out of this series is Pittsburgh's future and the changing of the guard. I think they need to start looking at youth. And it's crazy to think because, yes, Crosby, you could still call him Sid the Kid, but he is getting older. He's 30, 31. Malkin didn't have the greatest regular season. We all know Crosby had the best regular season since 2013. He's healthy now. He's been healthy for three straight seasons, but that doesn't that doesn't you know change the fact that he is getting older every season. And the amount of ga- uh, playing time that he plays and the amount of games they play as an organization over the years, yeah. it's probably taken a toll on them. So yeah, you need you need a young, you need a couple younger bodies if you're Pittsburgh, in my opinion. But uh, moving forward, I guess. Uh, We'll now talk about the Blues defeating the Jets in six games. I'm not surprised with this one at all. Uh, our boy, Jaden Schwartz. <laughs> Filthy. <laughs> Coming Filthy. up in uh, game six there with three goals. Uh, you know, we talk about the Blues over the last few weeks, about how complete they are from top to bottom. They have one of the best defenses in the league. And I don't know if Tarasenko, you'd consider him a superstar, but they have a lot of very good players that just work really well together and they're giving the Jets some problems because they're out in the first round after being out in the second last year, second the, or third. The the, the uh, who the the Jets? They yeah, went to the conference. conference went to the conference, yeah. but the, you know, the, I guess like Nashville, they took a step back, I should say, and now they. I think the Jets are more of a story to talk about because now they have a lot of problems. Yeah, well, too. <laughs> yeah, they have the Line A contract, the Connor contract. Apparently, Ehlers was playing with a leg fracture in Game Six, which is something that you don't usually do, but. You got to do what it takes to win, but yeah, the the Jets. It's kind of like a Chicago Blackhawks, St. Louis vibe, where it's like you can't really help it. Like you're a great team, you're going up against another great team, and you just come up short. And like I like I said, they really buried themselves in Game Five when they blew the game with 30 seconds left. Oh, not even. And not even. <laughs> and and who got the game winner? Jaden Schwartz. Four goals in two games to close out the series. This guy to me, is clutch. And this guy, I think this is just the beginning because you said there's not really a superstar on St. Louis, but there are a ton of great players. Like I said to you uh, a couple nights ago, there's at least four gamers on the Blues, and it's Petrangelo, it's O'Reilly, it's Shen, and you could even throw in probably Tarasenko or maybe even a Alex Steen. Like guys like that, they all love playing. So I, I call me crazy. I have the Blues going to the Stanley Cup Finals this year. Also, our boy Bozak. Bozak. <laughs> oh yeah. But like even St. Louis when they won, like I was expecting Line to just really go off. This is his chance. He's in a contract year. He saw Matthews get a big deal in Toronto, and it's a little disappointing that they're not going to be going past the first round. Paul Maurice now. What do you do with him? Do you maybe get rid of them and bring in Randy Carlisle? <laughs> what would you say is the bigger disappointment, Nashville or Winnipeg? Well, I think Winnipeg. Really? Yeah. I think I think I think Nashville because the Blues to me are a way better team than Dallas. I'd say Nashville just because they went to the finals two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but Winnipeg, like they have that great future still there, and they do. I think they have the better core than Nashville, so there's a sign of things to come for them. Yeah. Also, who's uh? No, no, as a DJ in St. Louis when they won. See the song they played when they won the game, Gloria or something. It's like I hear that at Italian weddings. Like <laughs> someone, someone's no, no is in charge that night. Definitely, definitely. But what were you saying about the Jets? Just like yeah, like Lion A, and that's another. So that's a guy where you would think in this series he'd just take over, and you would see Winnipeg go on immediately. And then now with Paul Maurice, that's going to always be the scapegoat, the coach. When you don't go far, we saw in other teams too, and. You don't really have Quenville. Like, that's a guy that would be available, and he's already in Florida. So do you think that Paul Maurice leaving would be a pretty decent option for Winnipeg's success? I think the GM will probably look at that 
And then you look who they can bring in. Randy Carlisle used to play for the Jets. Used to be one of their captains. That would be a good guy to put in short term. The thing with me, the biggest disappointment with me with this series was the performance of number 55, Mark Shifley. Ryan O'Reilly did his thing. He shut him down completely. And that's why he's one of my favorites. It's nothing against Shifley, too. It's just he just got outmatched. So yeah. I remember the, the interview after game six when they talked to Wheeler. Oh, he was frustrated. And he's just like, we, we gave it our best. Like, that's all we can do. Like, we just got outmatched, and plain and simple, that's what the Blues did. <laughs> yeah, like, I, you could say what you want about, like, star power skill sets, like, separating guys. Like, so you have the McDavid's, the Matthews, the, the Crosby's. I'm putting O'Reilly right in there with the Bergerons. Like, he's that good of a player. And, like, when you look at – when he has a specific assignment for his team, he never disappoints. And he always shuts down the other centermen. Like, good luck to Sagan in this series because he's going up against a guy that will shut you down. And O'Reilly is going to shut down Sagan. And if Dallas wants a remote shot, they need Ben Bishop to outperform a red-hot Jordan Bennington. So that's going to be a fun series, but I got the Blues going. I'll take the Blues in six, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I, I have. Yeah. For, uh, for Dallas, uh, Ben, Sagan, Radulov, and Klingberg all had six and six. The rest of their guys have to step up because yeah. that line and the defense cannot carry it alone. It's going to have to be a team effort. Well, I know I know Heiskanen had a great first game. Yeah, but then, goals, right? Yeah, but then after that, I, I didn't really see a lot of him. But again, he is a rookie. You're going to go through dry spells. But after that, we got to go to the other series win. Another surprise, the Abs beating the Flames in five games. The one guy that I need to talk about in this series, Nathan McKinnon. I have to talk about this guy. This guy, Don Cherry, said on his uh, – uh, after the Leaf game, I think it was game five, he said, pencil in Nathan McKinnon as the best player in hockey right now. Pinello, I want you to jump on that. Do you agree with that? Yes. And what I think he, when he says right now, he means players that are not Connor McDavid, not yeah. playing in the playoffs. So yeah. I don't know how the hell you can argue it. It was literally Nathan McKinnon. That and Rantanen, line. yeah, versus the Avs. Like, I mean, versus the Flames. When you watch the games, like it's you can't handle him. He's just like McDavid. He's one of the very few guys in the league that are just so fast. With so his big and his speed and like how the fuck these guys a fucking horse on skates. <laughs> Even Giordano said like I put him up there right with Crosby and make like he just can't stop him and we didn't know if Varlamov or Grubauer was gonna start. Grubauer was amazing in this series. Yeah, played Smith bad. We saw Kill McCarr, nice story come in there late. He played well. I still don't know who's out for the Avs that that they brought him in, but is it Nemeth? Nemeth maybe. It's either him or it's Gerard because I haven't heard of Gerard at all. But what are yeah. your thoughts on that one, Alino? Yeah, that's another surprise too because you look at Calgary first seed, like Tampa, another first seed. So the two eighth seeds come in from the wild card. The teams that had to battle all year to make the playoffs and they make quick work of the first place teams. So Nate McKinnon, we've seen him like go through ups and downs so far. Like some years he's doing really good after his rookie year and then. He had a slow year when he's on the fourth line in Colorado, and now he's finally broken out. He's been flying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great coming out for Nate McKinnon. So now that we've talked about all the series wins, there are three series left that actually are going to game sevens. There actually have not been a lot of overtimes this playoffs. Like over the years, first round, usually at least two, three, four OTs. So... First game seven, I got to talk about. I said that the Canes would beat the Caps in seven games. It's going to seven. Um, I was kind of worried, you know, game five. Or no, yeah, game five, the Caps won six nothing. <laughs> game four, the Canes won five nothing. So there's no consistency between both teams. So now we're coming down to game seven. And Justin Williams is the captain of the Hurricanes. And he is known as Mr. Game Seven. I'm taking the Hurricanes to knock off the defending champs. And this just continues the trend of a second opportunity bracket and just the playoff just known for upsets. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I was saying, okay, Washington, five or six, they'll get it done. But now that it's in game seven, I'd be a little worried if I'm Washington. Oh, because yeah. they know Justin Williams. The whole reason why they brought him in was for that because uh, they needed him when they go to Pittsburgh and play them all the like every single year. And he ended up being big for them in Game 7. So 
I got Carolina. Game seven. I am taking the Washington Capitals. <laughs> they have been here before. I think they view this series like when Toronto played them two years ago. It's an up-and-coming team with all these young guys. They do have some vets in Justin Williams. I think he'll show up. It won't matter. Ovi's going to shut him down. Seven games. Let's go, boys. Uh, so you have the Caps winning and me and Alino have the Carolina Hurricanes upsetting. I just want to see the Hurricanes in the aisles in a second-round <laughs> match. That would be hilarious. Oh, my God. That's a coin flip. <laughs> the next one I got to talk about is the Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights. Who wins this one? It was 3-1 Vegas, and then all of a sudden Martin Jones decides to play, and now it's 3-3. Who do you guys take in this one? I'm going to go with the Sharks. Oh. Just like their team. I remember last week I was talking about like their defense, and it's kind of like Chicago's with like Keith Seabrook and when they had Brian Campbell. Now with you have Vlasic, Carlson, and Burns, you're able to go around in different tactics, have them around different matchups on Vegas. So... I like Vegas, but I think their time next year is when they make another push to the final. I still got to stick with Vegas. Like, <laughs> the Sharks coming back is miraculous. Last game, they fuck, Vegas put up like 50 shots. Martin Jones shut the door and fluky golden overtime. <laughs> but I'm taking Vegas. I said it from the beginning. I think they're still taking this series, but... You know, props to San Jose with all the friggin' talent they have there coming back in the series. I, I agree with Pindello. I think I got to go with the Vegas Golden Knights to win. I think when it comes down to the big game seven, when you look at both ends of the ice, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Martin Jones or would you rather have the flower? And you got to go with Flurry. So I think Flurry's going to show up. It is in San Jose, but I do think Vegas will come out firing. I know that they're the quicker team and. You can't cancel out Mark Stone. That guy's just been an absolute beauty. So I'm going to go with Vegas winning like maybe 4-2 game 7. It'll be a nice tight game. And the thing I want to just mention quickly before we go, and before we talk about tonight's game 7 with the Leafs, is do the Avs have a shot at beating the winner of the Sharks and the Golden Knights? They have a really steep hill to climb. Because my <laughs> initial thought was No. Uh, Grubauer is going to have to outplay whoever he goes up against. That top line is going to have to be amazing. They're going to have to get way more from everyone else because, like, when you look at those other two teams, they're just a little bit more complete than the Avs. Yeah. Yeah, I just – I think uh, San Jose and Vegas are better than Calgary, even though Calgary finished first. But with all the depth they have, I think it's going to be tough for Colorado, even though Nate McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog are really on fire right now. But – I think it will be another long series. I don't think Colorado will get swept or losing five. This will be like a six or seven again for the winner of game seven tonight. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, Colorado's already proven that they are not a cakewalk because I said before the playoffs started, I said, if there's one team that's going to beat Calgary, it's Colorado. It's like they're going to – because McKinnon, he's a freak – I think he just outmatched Monaghan, or I don't even know if they had Monaghan playing against McKinnon. Maybe it was Backland. I don't know, but he just out. The one guy that disappointed me on uh, on Calgary was Kachuk. I didn't see a whole lot of him. He didn't get in a lot of people's heads. Just his game. Yeah, he wasn't a big factor. <laughs> so um, I think Vegas would. I think the Vegas and the Abs. I feel like the Abs would have a better chance against Vegas than uh, than the Sharks because I feel like the Sharks would just physically just shut down McKinnon somehow. They'll find a way. I but but uh, I'm still rooting for Calgary. I mean, for Colorado to like go. I love McKinnon. I love him so much. I think he's such a talent. But now we got to talk about Game Seven tonight. The Leafs and the Bruins. They couldn't get it done. Game Six. They came out pretty damn solid. And then as soon as they scored, they just took kind of a back seat. They were losing every battle in their end. You could ask this guy was yelling at the TV. Dermot wasn't doing anything. Zaitsev wasn't winning battles. Hainsey wasn't doing anything. Just the what was your takeaway game six? To me, it was definitely the special teams. Killed us completely. We didn't have our power play set up once. Penalty kill, we looked kind of weak. We weren't our sticks weren't active enough. And goddamn, Tori Krug had that perfect shot went in. Uh, Fuck. You said special teams? Yeah. I was gonna specifically say the PK, because like the stat for Boston is like the, they're like fifty percent. Yeah. And like, yeah, the, their sticks aren't active and they're playing way too 
close to Freddy in their zone. Like they're all hovered around him, and then you have Krug and Pasternak at the point with all the room in the world. To, you don't want them to have room. I'm like, why? Why is this a thing? But <laughs> yeah, just ah, disappointment. Freddy Anderson was playing so good, and they wasted an opportunity there. They wasted his whole performance. The second period they took off, they weren't even really playing. The Leafs, they, they weren't. Was, they, they just weren't. allowed Boston to come in. And then when they had the puck in their zone, they couldn't even get a shot on them because they're just too slow on uh, making their plays. And I w- I'm really disappointed in the way Tavares played, to be honest. In game six, I thought he really needed to be better. This is the kind of game that he should show up. It was a closeout game for Toronto. I thought Matthews was really good. Riley, a guy who just got snubbed from the Norris. Had 70-something points, and then he doesn't even get nominated for that. But that's a great game for him and Anderson. I thought it was three players that showed up for the Leafs and disappointed. There it is. Matthews, Riley, Anderson, like you said. Yeah. They, those are the only three that showed up for Game 6. To me, the worst player for the Leafs in Game 6 was the guy that had to be one of the best, and it was Zach Hyman. He just... He wasn't physical enough. I mean, we saw all series. He was on Marshawn, or I think it was either Marshawn or Pasternak, all series, hitting him, doing whatever he could. And then in game six, I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know what it is. He just did not look like himself, wasn't in the game. Nylander, don't even get me started. Like, this guy, just one of the – when he's not in a game or he's not engaged in a play, he's just out of it. Like, he just looks like he doesn't give a shit. I think uh, they showed a play where Trevor Moore cross-ice passed and like a tip Nylander stick and it went far and he's like, oh, fuck, it's too far. Forget it. And he got <laughs> off. Went out to the <laughs> uh, like, okay, first thing for game six, you can't be allowing 42 shots on home ice in an elimination game. If they do that tonight, they're getting killed. Like the Bruins <laughs> will kill them. So you can't be giving up 40 shot attempts. I love Freddie. I have all the confidence in the world in him. But you, you're not going to win a game if you allow the Bruins to get 40 shots at TD Garden in that crowd. You're not winning that game. So tonight, they got to play nice, smart D. Jake Muzzin, get the puck, just dump it out. Have that mentality, and I think everything should be okay. I'm expecting John Tavares and Mitch Marner to be solid tonight, and I think they're going to have a big game. I think uh, Mike Babcock needs to shift some lines a bit. I want to see Trevor Moore deck char a few times tonight. I, th- I, I like how he comes out there. He doesn't care. Even Kapanen, he saw him charge up to DeBrusque when he had the play. You see him darting around. I want to see that type of play. I don't want to see, like, Nylander where you're not engaged because it doesn't really do anything for your team. And then Freddie the Goat, it was good. Seven minutes, he was effective in, like, at least six and a half of them. But keep it simple with him because he's a guy that you just need face-offs from. You need him to take some uh, pressure off the third liners in his zone, Boston zone. So I think the Leafs need that. Take control of that tonight. Would you guys put Patrick Marlowe fourth line? Yeah. I was actually telling him on the way to your house, I'd move Marlowe to the fourth line, and I'd move Trevor Moore up a couple lines, use that speed. Maybe put him, uh, just switch him with, to put him with Willie, because, like, when Willie's not going, and then maybe you can have, like, a, you know, nice little back checker there in Trevor Moore to pick up some of the slack. So you would have faith in Nylander taking the draws, then, on the third line? He is around 50, you know... He gets a lot of hack, but, like, he is one of our better face-off guys. But, like, no one really sees it because he doesn't do much else recently. (laughs) Well, that's basically it for this week's episode. Um, Do the Leafs have a chance at beating the Blue Jackets if they win? Oh, yeah. I think they do. I think that's another seven-game series. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Leafs have a good chance. Either just get rid of Boston in a game seven, finally just get, get over that hump. And then when you play like Columbus, your head's cleared, and then it's time to go to work. All right, guys. Well, make sure to tune in tonight, Game 7, CBC. It's going to be a stressful game, but hopefully the Leafs can take out the big, bad Bruins. Thanks, guys, for watching. That's Episode 25, In the Zone. Peace out.